I like to live into the present, doff my cap to the past and look towards the future. And I'm always more interested in what's coming up next. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Live Through That, the podcast where influential artists of the 80s and 90s talk to us about a pivotal moment in their lives. I'm your host, Mike Hippel, and this week I'm excited to bring you my talk with Glenn Matlock, the original bassist in the Sex Pistols. Matlock proves that you're never too old to have a pivotal moment. He recently shined as the bassist with Blondie at the famed Glastonbury Festival and has an excellent new album out now called Consequences Coming. I think a big moment was probably walking into Malcolm McLaren's shop. Another big moment was probably going to art college in 1970, when did I go? 73, 74, yeah, 73, 74, um, which was in tandem with kind of getting the Sex Pistols together. But more recently, you know, I was sitting about just over a year ago, I was cooking dinner for some friends and the phone rang and it was Clem Burke. And he said, what are you up to? I said, I'm cooking dinner. Can I call you back? He said, well, it's important. And I said, what? And he said, well, we've got a tour coming up and it's not working out with a bass player and we're stuck. Can you come and do it? And I said, well, yeah, when are you thinking of? A couple of months? And he said, no, next week. And it was like, ah, right. So that was quite a big sea change moment. Yeah, I, I, at the moment, I'm the current new, at the age of 66 and a half, I'm the new boy in Blondie. Right. Uh, and um, I've been playing bass with them. We did about, I don't know, about 20 gigs last year um, in England and um, in America. And then this year we've done maybe half a dozen. We've got another 10 or so coming up, big festival things. And it's it's kind of cool, you know. I've, I've known Clem for a long time. We've done loads of, we've been big friends for 40 years. Um, we've done loads of, projects together, some kind of cool, some a little bit harebrained. The history between Blondie and Glenn goes back decades. Um, how did I meet him? Well, I did, I can't remember exactly, but I think, I, I, well, I know that I did a gig with Sid Vicious. We did a one-off for one night only gig at the Electric Ballroom in Camden. And I think Blondie came, you know, when bands are in another country and they have a night off, they go and check out another band and, as I remember, all of Blondie were there, as were all of Thin Lizzy and some other people as well. But um, I think I met Clem then and Chris and Debbie. Um, I maybe met Debbie once before when I was playing with Iggy Pop. We did, um, we played Halloween in 1979 at the Palladium in New York and the Cramp supported us. The whole audience was in Halloween gear, which was an eye-opener for me because in England, nobody back then used to dress up for Halloween. They do now, but they didn't then. And backstage, as I remember, it was Debbie Harry dressed as a witch who gave me a little kiss on the cheek. So I think I'd met her before. Um, but maybe I, maybe there's a bit of wishful thinking in that. I can't quite remember. But it was around about that period. And I got on with Clem, you know, we sort of 
cut from a similar similar cloth upbringing wise and sort of working class roots and and stuff and like the same kind of music. Glenn knew the members of Blondie and I asked why he didn't end up joining their band sooner. Obviously, Glenn had his hands full with multiple other projects after he left the Pistols, including stints with bands like The Rich Kids, playing with The Damned and Iggy Pop, and working on his own music. In 1996, he rejoined with the remaining Sex Pistols for the first of several reunion tours. I think at the end of the Pistols tour in 96, and it was in the days when mobile phones were in their infancy, I was staying out of the country for a little bit, and I was in Europe, and Clem kept trying to get hold of me, and I didn't think it was that important. And I tried him, and I missed him, and then he tried me, and he missed me, and I said, call me on this number at a hotel I was staying at, and then I'd moved on, and he didn't get Anyway, by the time I got back to London, he was in town. And he said, come and meet us at the Royal Garden Hotel in Kensington. So I did, and I thought, hmm, he might be asking me something. And as I walked in, he said, I want you to meet somebody. I said, oh, he said, this is Lee, our new bass player. And I think he actually was going to ask me back then. But um, so there you go. Answer the phone. Glenn worked at Malcolm McLaren's shop, Let It Rock, which eventually morphed into the shop Too Fast to Live, Too Young to Die, and then into the fame store Sex. It was here that he met Steve Jones, Paul Cook, and eventually John Lydon and formed the Sex Pistols. I met them through Malcolm McLaren's shop. Um, when I was thinking of applying, I started working there when I was still at school, and I needed a, somebody to give me a reference to apply to St. Martin's. And I asked Vivian Westwood, and I said, do you think Malcolm would give me a reference? I don't know why I didn't ask her, but I didn't. And she said, for what? And I said, well, I'm thinking of applying for art college. And she went, oh. She said, I don't think you want Malcolm to um, give you a reference for art college. I said, why not? She said, well, he's been thrown out of everyone in London. And I went, oh, which is kind of interesting. So I, I kind of took a bit more interest in Malcolm because of that. Then he took a bit more interest in, in me because I wanted to go to art college. And then while I was working at the shop, on, just on Saturdays, but that's when Stephen Paul would come in and later on John. And Stephen Paul were trying to form a band and I overheard one day that it wasn't working out with the bass player that they had. And I said, well, I play bass. Well, no, I said, I've got a bass. I don't think I said I play it because I probably couldn't at that stage. But next thing I'm knocking around with Stephen Paul and this other guy, Wally, who was the original guitarist. Then the rest is history, really. But it's one of those things that when I walked into Malcolm Shop, there was something about it. It was the total antithesis of what was going on in mid-70s London. It was like a teddy boy shop. It was almost like a throwback thing. But nobody else was doing that, and there was a vibe about it. And through some kind of gut reaction, I thought this is the place to kind of sort of hang out, really. The shop attracted all sorts of people who were part of the scene at the time. I had to ask about any interesting brushes he had with fame while there. Weird people were coming in, you know. I met Mick Ronson and Ian Hunter came in to buy something. Um, the New York Dolls would come through at some stage, I wasn't there then, but they did come through. There was people who used to come in the shop, there was this kind of big, hot, sort of fashion model guy called Piggy, like a male model guy, nice guy. But he was mates with Little Nell, who and Little Nell was in the Rocky Horror Show when it was still only just a stage play in the King's Road Theatre and then Richard O'Brien would come in, you know, and then 
down the road was Granny Takes a Trip and there was people, you see the stones going in and out and there would be um, uh, Brian Ferry and Anthony Price swanking down that part of the King's Road. It was a lot going on for a, a young buddy music fan, you know. And I was sort of slightly part of that scene, so it, it was cool. Probably raised an eyebrow when Mick Ronson walked in. It was funny, actually. Have you ever seen that movie, Ronaldo and Clara? It's a sort of a Bob Dylan movie. It's kind of based on the Rolling Thunder tour. But in it, Ronaldo and Clara are Bob Dylan and um, Joan Baez's um, alter egos, and they play them. And then Ronnie Blakely and, and the guy from... The Hawks, was it Ronnie Hawkins, play Bob Dylan and it's a load of old tosh really. But in it, Mick Ronson's on that tour and in it he wears the pair of pink loafers that I sold him in Let It Rock a few years before I am. So it was, it's kind of quite historical. And when Mick Ronson came in, he's seen his shoes in the window and um, he had really small feet, like size six and a half or something like that. So I had to get every box down. And then we finally found a pair, which he bought. And as I'm wrapping them up, I heard a noise behind me. And I thought, what's going on? And I looked round, and there's Mick Ronson. He's up the ladder. And I said, what are you doing? And he said, well, I've got all these boxes down. I mean, that's, you must be really annoyed with me. I'm putting them back for you. I went, what? You're crazy. You're... And, and luckily, I got to work with Mick later on. He produced my band, The Riches, which is the band I had after the Sex Pistols. But I thought, what a lovely guy, you know. So when I saw the movie Ronaldo and Clara at the Odeon Cinema in Camden and I saw him wearing the shoes that I told him, I told the whole audience I sold him them, they went, shh. <laughs> Glenn is widely regarded as the one in the band who is more of a musician and essentially responsible for creating the framework of their sound. I asked him about this. I wrote a lot of the catchy kind of bits. You know, John did what John did. Steve did what he did. Paul did what he did. You know, I actually came up with a whole bunch of kind of hooks for the songs. You know, Anarchy in the UK, that's my music mainly, interpreted very well by Stephen Paul with John's lyric, God Save the Queen, similar thing. Pretty Vacant was my song, interpreted very well by everybody. Um, and other stuff on the album, you know, and then Steve wrote, like, No Feelings, which wasn't really much to do with me, but I like to feel I put my bit in the arrangement. You know, the Sex Pistols wouldn't have happened without any of the people involved doing their bit. Do you know what? I met um, I met Ray Davis once, at, probably at the very last Sex Pistols show we ever did in Spain. And he was on before us doing his, his solo kind of show. Well, with a band, but it wasn't the Kinks, it was Ray Davis. And I knocked on his dressing room door and he said, come in, and he was eating his dinner. And he said, oh, you're the bloke who wrote all the Sex Pistols stuff. And it was funny because it was like a temporary dressing room and the walls didn't go all the way up to the ceiling. And I knew darn well John and his mate were in the dressing room next day. I'm going, hang on a second. I did that. Oh, it was like a collective consciousness. And he went, come off it, mate. He said, I used to come in with a kinks with a song. And he said, we'd fight tooth and now how it should go. He said, we even come to blows sometimes. He said, but you know what? I always want somebody's got to be in charge. <laughs> so he gave me a knowing wink. Well, that was cool. It's kind of quite surprising if you do 
as Sextus will say, lots of people coming up to you saying, well, it's not very fast, but it was never supposed to be. Everybody thinks like punk is like the Ramones. And we weren't particularly fast. It was kind of just right, really. You know, there was a groove involved to it, like Anarchy in the UK. It's got a kind of a good kind of groove. Um, yeah, but, you know, John had pretty out there lyrics, but I provided a platform for him to hang the songs on that people makes them memorable you know i don't think if they didn't have any hooks or catchy bits people wouldn't remember them to this day you know glenn left the sex pistols in early 1977 before the release of never mind the bullocks there's a lot of different stories about how this went down so i asked him to clarify it this man john didn't get on really and it's saying it's charitably i'd had enough of them and i think his politics now wearing a maga hat I don't know what your politics are, but it's firmly not what my ones are. And there was something about him I couldn't quite put my f- finger on, but um, I think it's become quite apparent, really. I never found him as sincere as he made out. And I left. I did. I wasn't threatened, sacked. I, I left. It was kind of my position was getting a bit untenable, but I left before I was pushed. And then a story was made up about it afterwards. But... Um, whether that was the best decision I've ever made in my life, I don't know. But anyway, in 1996, we reformed and they could have asked any other bass player in the world to do it. And they asked me to do it. So I felt vindicated. In April 2023, Glenn released his new solo record, Consequences Coming. The title is a bit of a nod to the political situation in America. With Trump out of office and seemingly dodging accountability at every corner, he thought maybe the timing wasn't quite right to release a record. But alas. You know, I've got a new album out at the moment. It's called Consequences Coming. The lead single was called Head on a Stick. So you can kind of tell where I'm coming from on it, really. And also, I thought it took a while, when you're a bit older and you haven't got a record company pouring hundreds of thousands of dollars into you to get your record out and recorded nicely and stuff, it takes a while to get a record out. And I thought I'd lost my moment, but maybe four weeks ago now when I was in America, me and Clem got offered a session in New York. We've been in California and we flew there. And when I was there, I asked my press girl to get over there. I said, look, I'm going to be doing this session. Do you fancy trying to set some press up for me? And she said, yeah. Anyway, she got a few things together. So on the Monday morning, I did the session over the weekend. On the Monday morning, I'm trying to get up to Rockefeller Plaza from the Bowery to be there for 11 o'clock to do a radio interview, thinking I've missed my moment on my album called Consequences Coming. But you know what? I couldn't get a cab. And I couldn't get a cab because they put roadblocks up on some of the streets because that very day when I'm going to promote my album Consequences Coming, Donald Trump was coming down from Trump Towers in some motorcade to be arraigned in the big courthouse downtown. So maybe I'd missed my moment at all. I was quite pleased about that. I like to live into the present, doff my cap to the past and look towards the future. And I'm always more interested in what's coming up next than then what happened 40 years ago. I'm proud of the album that I've done now, but I like the album before that and I've probably got a few songs off on the go to the next one. So... Yeah, I think what I ha- has been happening 
with the release of this record is now finally people have, are seeing me in my own right as a solo artist, whereas before I've always been, you know, the bass player in a band. Now I don't question on the front man. And I don't really crave all the attention of being the front man. I just, I think nobody's going to mean a song as much as the guy who wrote the lyrics. I think hopefully you don't lose the, the knack, and it is a knack of writing a catchy song, but maybe lyrically back then, John was far better than me, but I think I've, I've lived a life in the interim period and I've got quite a lot to talk about. You know, so as long as you don't lose that kind of the craft of writing a song, and plus you've got a, a lifetime experience, and you've kept your feet on the ground, which I have, because although I've never been skint, you know, poor, I've never been particularly loaded and afford to live a multi-millionaire lifestyle that revolves around getting the latest thing from Cromart, so it doesn't interest me. You know, I think I'm still sort of a bit of the man of the people somehow, you know. Thank you, Glenn, for taking the time to share these stories with us. His new record, Consequences Coming, is out now wherever you get your music from. He's hoping to tour the States later in the year as well. And a friendly reminder that you can also buy my book on 80s musicians and where they are today, 80s Redux, and its sequel on 90s artists, Live Through That, wherever you buy your books. And if you like this show, please subscribe so that you'll know when the latest episode comes out. And if you're so inclined, leave a good review, too. You can also follow me on Twitter and Facebook at Mike Hipple Photo, all one word. Thanks for listening. We'll have more stories next week. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.